Did uh, anybody lose their power this weekend? All right, a couple hands. Yeah, I was the only one in the last service, and I, I felt kind of like a, a sore thumb. So I, I feel your pain. We lost our power yesterday at 6 a.m., um, so hopefully they'll get that working soon. Uh, I'm not going to bother to ask the live streamers, because they're probably not live streaming if they lost their power. <laughs> but uh, I am not Pastor Mark Kring, if you didn't know that. Uh, he is actually building a prayer door for our new, our new building. So he's been diligent at work this whole week. Uh, instead, my name's Kyle Denny. I'm on staff here as a pastor. I am recently transitioning from operations and connections and going to a full-time youth ministry role. So yeah, I'm pretty pumped about that. <laughs> That's my wife, if you didn't know. Uh, I, I've had a heart for the youth uh, my whole life. I've been volunteering for the past decade, and six years of that has been here at New Hope with the high school. So just ecstatic about that opportunity. And I'm going to use a free plug and just say next Sunday, July 28th, uh, we're having a high school uh, event at our house. It's 7 p.m. There's probably going to be spike ball, volleyball, bonfire, food. Uh, so if you're in that demographic or if you know someone in that demographic, would love to have you present for that. Come see me after or check our Instagram page. All right. Now, before we really get going, uh, I wanted to give you a, a sneak peek at where our passage is going to lead us today. Can you guys put that picture up for me? That right there is a man that loves his lawn. So ha have you ever been that guy before? Uh, Saturday night service, someone actually shouted out, definitely not. So before I can start unpacking that, I, I want to say that, that I have been that guy, but I need the, the foundation that First Peter lays before I can better explain it. So that's where we're going to be. We'll be in First Peter chapter 1. There should be some Bibles in the pew racks around you. First uh, Peter's all the way in the back of the Bible. If you've hit Revelation, you've gone just a little too far, back it up some. And we're going to be in verses 3 to 13. And we'll put the verses up on the screen as well. It's written, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, in glory, in honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls." As to the salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating, as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories to follow. 
It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you and these things which now have been announced to you. Through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from the heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This passage was written by one of Jesus' main followers, Peter. And if you're new to church, during Jesus' earthly ministry, Peter was this guy that was a little rough around the edges. Like, he's always saying what everyone else is thinking, very bluntly, and as you can imagine, that, that just doesn't always work out well for him. Uh, there's a story in Mark chapter 8 where, where Jesus is very explicitly telling his disciples that he has to die. And they're just not hearing him. They're not getting it. They had it in their mind that, that since he's God's anointed, since he's performing all these crazy miracles, that he couldn't possibly die. And while the other disciples were just thinking this, uh, Peter's a little more bold. He, he goes above and beyond. He takes Jesus aside. And he basically says, Jesus, you gotta stop being fatalistic. We're not gonna let you die. He rebukes him. That in turn, as you can imagine, didn't go over well. Jesus turns around and he rebukes Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan. Being called Satan by Jesus himself probably the second worst day in Peter's life. Jesus goes on to tell Peter that, that he's not setting his mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. He, he was not thinking clearly. That's gonna be important for our time today. Now, now don't get the wrong idea about our author, Peter. It, it, it's easy to kind of look down on him for these things or, or to like wag a finger at him, but fight that urge. He was the leader that Jesus himself chose. And although he made several blunders, as we all have, he has a big heart for Jesus. He left career, family, friends, and country to follow him. He told people about Jesus even at great cost to himself. Tradition says he's eventually crucified upside down for his faith. So don't listen when people speak poorly of Peter. He's to be honored among us. He's the one that wrote this letter, and scholars still debate about it, but, but most likely he wrote it 30 years after Jesus died. That's 30 years to grow and mature, to suffer and to lead the early church. In this letter, he's addressing a group of Christian believers that are going through a rough time. They're actively obeying Jesus, and because of it, they have the spotlight shining on them. They're doing what God calls good and, and suffering for it. Peter alludes to this in chapter 4 later on. He says, For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them 
in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. These believers are isolated and alone. They stand exposed because of Jesus, and they're smeared and slandered and persecuted for his name. They're suffering, and you can't help but wonder if they're thinking, does God even see me? Does God even care? Well, Peter is one who has suffered greatly, writes to them. This letter is an injection. It's an EpiPen of hope and encouragement. He's going to give them something to cling to through this suffering, something that is true for us today that we need to hear. He hits the ground running in verse three. He writes, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Right from the start, he is already talking about Jesus and the resurrection. And you'll see the focus is centered right where it should be, supremely on God. It says, blessed be the God and Father of Jesus. How good you are, God. How gracious you are that you would cause us to be born again. Now, if you're new to this whole Jesus thing, don't get hung up on that language. If we're being honest, born again, that's a little weird. That's some Christianese language that we use that sounds normal to me. But if you haven't been raised in the church, that can sound a little strange. Born again, if you believe in Jesus, then you're a part of God the Father's family. God has produced new life in you. And because of it, you belong somewhere. Hear that, New Hope. You belong to God and his family. That alone is just soothing to my soul, that God wants me, that he welcomes me with open arms no matter what my past has been. No matter what's behind me, God welcomes me. God is so good and gracious and And when you become a part of his family, Peter writes there there are two things that we're born into. The first one is a a living hope, a hope that is alive. It's a confidence that what God has declared will come to pass. It's not a vain hope. It's not just this crossing of our fingers and being wishy-washy. Well, I don't know what happens after death, but I hope it's good. No. I, uh, I, I recently opened up a Dove piece of chocolate, dark chocolate, of course, and they have those profound little sayings inside, don't they? It's like, be proud of your age, or get lost on purpose, whatever that means, or buy both. Now, my background is as an accountant, so you will never hear me say buy both. Like, it, it's just not gonna happen. I'm sorry, we have to choose, wife, one or the other. But I I was pretty disappointed with the one that that I opened. Because it said, everyone has a happy ending. If you're not happy, it's not the end. Man, what, what a warm, encouraging thing to read. That is complete rubbish and false theologically. What what a positive thing to think. 
that is not based on reality. There is no basis to say that everyone will have a happy ending. Come on, Dove. That's dead hope. Now, I'm not saying we should boycott Dove. I'm, I'm still eating their chocolate. But do you recognize dead hope when you hear it? Even if someone like Dove is the one to say it. The idea that somehow, magically, everything for everybody will turn out well is a hideous lie. Jesus talks about hell more than anyone else in the New Testament. He talks about hell more than he talks about heaven. We have hope as believers in Jesus Christ because of what Jesus already did. I I, I can't earn this hope myself. It's not based on anything I've done. It's not because I showed up to church for most of my life. It's not because I've given my money away to a good cause. It's because Jesus came and lived a perfect life. And instead of getting his just reward, he absorbed God's wrath for me. He swapped places with me. That is no little thing, New Hope. Don't write that off just because you've heard it a lot. Jesus was sweating blood. And angels came to encourage him because it was such a mental terror to prepare for what he was about to endure on the cross. The payment of our sins. It's not magic. It's God's sacrifice that will allow every believer's tear to be wiped away. Jesus has already been raised from the dead. It has locked our future in place. And if you do not believe in a literal resurrection, then I I don't see how you can believe in a literal salvation. You still owe payment for your sins if Jesus didn't absorb them. And even one of those sins, even the small ones, are worth an eternal separation from God, an eternal separation from all that is good, all this common grace we enjoy now. Is your hope in Jesus alive? Are you thinking clearly when society tells you things like everyone has a happy ending? Because those are words straight from the devil's influence. They're meant to lull us, to cloud our thinking when we need to wake up to our reality. Jesus rebuked Peter and called him Satan because he wasn't thinking clearly. He wasn't setting his mind on the things of God and he was actually found opposing him. We've been born into a living hope because the resurrection happened. If it didn't happen, there's no basis for that claim and we're to be pitied above everyone else. He goes on to say, you're born again, verse four, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. This is the the second thing that we're born into as part of God's family. An inheritance that never loses value. If only the stock market worked like that, right? Or those ridiculous beanie babies I had growing up. They told me those things would be worth a mint by now. And I was walking by a thrift store the other day and there's a whole box just sitting there. And Sorry, I won't go on, but you get the idea. You get the idea. There's something more secure 
than Beanie Babies in stock. It says that this inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Let's break that down briefly. So, imperishable. Everything on earth is decaying. Everything will be in a junkyard, torn down, or disposed of. Probably this mic soon. Not this inheritance. This inheritance is imperishable. It's indestructible. It's undefiled. Everything here is flawed, isn't it? Like food spoils, things break, people are corrupted. But not so with this inheritance. It's undefiled, it's pure, it's untainted. And finally, he says it's unfading. How long does your excitement over a a new iPhone or a new-to-you car last? A week? A month? A year? Let's be real, it's probably not a a year. That, That feeling of excitement, it fades away. And yet God says, I'm making everything new in eternity, Revelation 21. This inheritance will will never fade. I like to think of it as Christmas morning when there's all this built-up anticipation, this excitement over these presents from loved ones. It's gonna be like that, but so much better in every day. That is what is waiting ahead of us. We can get nervous about our 401ks and pension plans. We can get nervous on if there's enough money in our retirement account when we get old. And it's wise to plan ahead, but that is too short-sighted. It's not thinking far enough down the road. If you believe in Jesus, you have an enormous payday coming. Wealth that you cannot imagine, which is entirely dependent on Jesus. It's because of Jesus that we're part of the family, that we're born into this inheritance. Can you better feel Peter's words when he said, according to God's great mercy, and blessed be God? Did you know that you had this inheritance? Do you spend time thinking about it and delighting in it? Or are we distracted by the momentary pleasures of this world? As if that wasn't enough, it just keeps getting better. Peter continues in verse five, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. If you belong to God's family, how could he not take care of you? It's not just this glorious inheritance that's being guarded, but you too. That word for protection that Peter uses, it's conveyed when a military would put an entire garrison in a city to protect it. To guard it. Only Peter says it's not a garrison that God is using to protect you. It's his power. Now that word is a little vague and it's kind of dull to my ears sometimes. But there's so much behind it. I liked one definition I came across. It said, God is all powerful and is able to do whatever he wills. His power is limited only by his character. I love that. He created the universe with his power, farther than the eye can see. He brought plagues against Pharaoh. He parted the Red Sea with his power. 
He protected his people from threat after threat after threat. How else do you explain how the Jewish people are still around? They went through the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Persians, the Romans, and while all of those civilizations crumbled and fell, the Jews outlived them. God protected his people and he disciplined them too, but he never extinguished them. Not even death is a match for God's power. It's with his power that he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And Peter says, you are protected by that same power through faith. If you believe in Jesus, then you're born into God's family, into a living hope, to a glorious inheritance that never fades. You are protected by none other than God himself And still Peter goes on. He says, you're protected for a salvation. And you get a whiff of the urgency here. It's ready to be revealed. It's like an arrow that's pulled back, just ready to be released. Your salvation is ready for the last day. Now, I I need to clarify about salvation here, just just briefly, because I don't want someone to walk away thinking that our salvation is not yet secured. Sorry, let me. All right. Uh, Let me just clarify about salvation here. I'll stand very still, I promise. (laughs) We know that our salvation is secured. Believers are sealed, Ephesians 2 tells us. We've been given eternal life, John 10 tells us. Peter's not disputing that. But in the way that he's writing, he's using the word salvation in the sense that it comes after God's wrath. It's after God's judgment has come. And since God's judgment is a future element, then he's saying salvation is a future element. It's guaranteed by none other than God himself, but it hasn't happened yet in that sense. You've been born into God's family, into a living hope, to an inheritance that never loses its value. You are protected by God and his power for a rescue from his wrath to come. He writes in verse six, he says, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. You see two things here that that you just wouldn't expect to go together. He says, in this you greatly rejoice. Well, well, first it begs the question, which exact element are are Peter's audience rejoicing in? Is it the born again, the living hope, the inheritance, the protection of God, the salvation? And, And Peter just says, yep, all of it. All of this you are rejoicing in. But it's interesting that we see them rejoicing and being distressed. They are grieved and sorrowful, and yet they still rejoice. That means that suffering does not prevent joy. Think about that. Suffering does not prevent joy. And we see the reverse is true too. Joy does not remove all suffering. Are you going through a hard time right now? 
You can still choose to bless God, to take pleasure in God, even when things are awful. You don't have to be fake about the situation you're in. That's not what I'm saying. But you don't have to be incapacitated by it either. There is living hope for us. Suffering doesn't feel like a little while when we're in the midst of it, does it? It doesn't feel like there's going to be relief from it. But soon it's going to be swallowed up by the last day. It'll be brief compared to the eternal glories that are ours in Jesus Christ. I'm so glad that Peter included that if necessary. That means that suffering is not just some crazy chance of fate or some impersonal force working against us. It's still under the loving hand of God the Father. It's not his ideal for the world, but he's going to use it. He sees you and knows exactly what you're going through. And he has a purpose for it, even if we never find out what that is on this side of eternity. Peter leads into verse seven with this. He says, if necessary, you've been distressed, verse seven, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Something better is coming. Suffering has the opportunity to refine our faith like fire refines gold. It burns away the impurities. You can't fake it in the midst of suffering. You have to make the choice on it, and if you're going to believe God and take him at his word. I like the way one theologian put it. He said, faith is like muscle tissue. If you stress it to the limit, it gets stronger, not weaker. When your faith is threatened and tested and stretched to the breaking point, the result is greater capacity to endure. Peter says our faith is more precious than gold. Gold was the most valuable resource in that day and age. Is that how you treat your faith? Is your faith precious to you? Do we intentionally spend time in our life watering it and nurturing it? Look, coming to church is a great start. But, but what are you doing during the week? Do you feed your soul with God's word? Do you drink in your relationship with him through prayer? Do you revive your interest in wonder of God with conversations among his people? I get it. I hear that siren call of Netflix and Hulu. The temptation to binge watch shows and drown yourself in story plots. I get snagged in obsessing over golf games and workouts and family and overtime that needs to be done and everything else that bubbles up to the surface. And yet, none of these are bad things. But do they rob you of your time with God? Do they rob you of your thoughts of God? Your faith is going to result in praise in glory, in honor. It, it comes from your faith. How does that change your mindset? How, how does that change the way we invest in this life? Uh, are we thinking clearly or are we distracted by this world? Verse eight and nine, P 
Peter writes, and though you have seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Again, this is 30 years after Jesus died. Most, if not all, of these believers would have missed Jesus. They wouldn't have seen him face to face, much like us. And yet, they've encountered enough to love him. So much so that they are willingly enduring suffering and grief for following his name. They believe him and are rejoicing because of what he's done for them. And this joy, it sticks, even during distress. It's so pure, it's inexpressible. I love that. They don't see Jesus, and yet they have the clarity of thought to rejoice. Even amidst the stress and the grief and the trouble, they have a joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. Don't we crave this joy in our lives? I mean, joy that lasts, joy that won't end. And yet, we search for it in all the wrong places. If I just had that job, or that promotion, then I'd have joy. Then I would feel complete. If I just found someone to spend the rest of my life with, then I'd have joy. If I just blank. And yet these things are not meant to carry an inexhaustible joy. They're never truly filling in and of themselves. Knowing Jesus is. Now that's not to say that our faith is always a mountaintop experience. Please don't mistake what I'm saying for that. We see these believers are still facing hard times. They're still being distressed and that's not because they're weak of faith, but because they're following Jesus in a broken world. And yet at the end of the day, they can still say he's worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. Just like that song we sang today. Peter continues on uh, in verses 10 to 12. He says, As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you, and these things which now have been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. That's a lot. Uh, and it's probably kind of deja vu if you were here last weekend because Mark talked about one of these verses specifically. He, he talked about the silence of God. If you haven't heard that message, which highly encourage you to go back and watch last week's service. It, it's tough for us to appreciate this blessing we have, the reality that Jesus has been revealed because it's all we've ever known. This blessing that the Old Testament prophets predicted but never got to experience firsthand. They searched and inquired, but it was for our benefit. It's a grace that angels long to look into because they don't experience it themselves. We have the supreme privilege of seeing the whole picture of the gospel. God started this great thing a long time ago 
And he's been setting it up to be revealed to us. This used to be a mystery, but now we know. How good is our God? How gracious is he that he caused us to be born again, to belong to his family? He's given us a living hope and a flawless inheritance. He's guarding and protecting us for ultimate salvation that's ready to be revealed. And he said he was going to do this a long time ago. Verse 13, therefore prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You knew a therefore was coming, right? You can't just have all this privilege just wrapped up and given to you and then sit on it. We have to do something with it. Uh, I like the way one old dead philosopher put it. He said, with great, privilege, or with great power comes great responsibility. I'm actually gonna flip this phrase around because it's a little clearer that way. If we read it as set your hope fully on grace by preparing your minds for action and being sober, then Peter gives us two ways to accomplish that. He says, prepare your minds for action. Or if taken literally, gird up the loins of your mind, something you probably didn't think you'd hear when you woke up today. It was this actively readying yourself for what's to come. Now, back in the day, an ordinary person would wear a long, basic tunic garment that would go down to their knees or their ankles. It was sleeveless, and it was normally made of linen or wool. And then they'd wear this poncho-looking thing on top. Now, that poncho they'd take off for various occasions, but that, that tunic was almost semi-adjustable. So when they were doing something leisurely, when they were talking in the marketplace, or maybe they were doing something uh, ceremonial with religious implications, they'd leave it at their knees or at their ankles. But when something important was coming ahead, when they anticipated war, when they knew they had a hard day's worth of labor, then they would actually wrap that up into their belt and it would free their legs. As a modern day example, I have a two-year-old that is still learning to potty train and a six-month-old that's very reflexy. That's a word, right? Reflexy. Both of them are just getting over GI issues. And so if you think that's not on my mind when I get home from work, then you're crazy. Like I'm deliberately taking off my shoes. I'm deliberately taking off my nicer shirt and stripping down to my undershirt. I have no idea what they've been doing all day. We're not just talking bodily fluids. We're talking sand, mud, chalk, Play-Doh, crayons, lunchtime. It's just bound to have those, those sticky little hands rub off on me. I'm still waiting to see, but I'm pretty sure they have a superpower. And it's knowing when I'm wearing a clean shirt and when it shouldn't be messed up. Because it's just a target for them. And that's great, I'm not complaining about that. I love that as being a dad. But I'm preparing my mind for action with toddlers. I'm preparing myself for what I'm about to step into. Peter says, you need to think ahead. We talked about all these things that are yours. Now prepare your mind for action. In, in that same vein, he says to be sober-minded. Now sober in the New Testament, uh, it, it carries this, uh, 
this connotation of having a complete clarity of mind, of resulting good judgment that's to follow. This is probably the most distracted century we've ever had. I mean, there are social media companies that are spending billions of dollars to not only grab your attention, but also to chokehold it, to not let go of your attention. There are so many different things vying for your time, vying for your thoughts. I'm, I'm tethered to my phone in the updates that are coming through it. We can be drunk with these distractions. We can be so scattered and so stretched that we forget the things of God, the riches that we've been born into. It brings me back to our picture. Lawnmower guy. To be fair, I I don't think that tornado is nearly as close as it looks, but it's just such a crisp picture of what we've been talking about. Are you distracted by the wrong things? That's probably at least top five of, of times not to mow your lawn. But are you, are you so caught up in your hobbies, the fishing, the cottages, the sports games, that you're ignoring the bigger pictures? I can be that guy sometimes. I can get so caught up in my own world, in my own checklists of what I want to get done that day, my own vacations that are coming up that, that I'm just absorbed with. And it robs me of a sober mind. This life is fading, New Hope. There are things that that, that seem like a big deal now that you won't even think twice about once eternity's been revealed. Are you living sober-minded? Are you investing for the long term, farther than a 401k plan can reach? Are you looking at that, that storm, the wrath of God that is certain to come? Not everyone gets a happy ending, Dove. Does that concern you? Or are you so tuned into your own little world, our own distractions and pleasures, that we miss it? We need to think intentionally and with clarity about our lives. Last quote from a theologian I came across. Thomas says, hope will not become a reality without disciplined thinking. Thinking in a new way does not happen automatically. It requires effort, concentration, and intentionality. I like that. There's an effort to changing the way we think. And in light of that, there's just two things that I want to close our time with today. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, don't wait. Feel that urgency Come talk to me after service or or talk to another pastor or an elder. We'd love to walk through that with you, to go through any questions you have. The second thing is, if you want to think clearly, if you want to prepare your mind for action and live sober-minded, then start right now. Look, look, if if you don't know how, just read 1 Peter. It's five chapters and it's not long. There's free Bibles in the back. Those are there for you. Uh, You can even listen to it on your way to work. There's these Bible apps that will read the Bible to you. Make a commitment to reading it as many times as you can this week. And don't just stop at listening or reading it. Memorize a scripture that stands out to you. Memorize it with a friend or with family. 
Pray to God for awareness of what's to come. Just don't push it off as something you'll do tomorrow. Don't cloud your mind with distractions. You've been born into God's family. You belong somewhere. You have a living hope and you're gonna receive this indestructible inheritance that never loses value. You're protected by God and his power for a rescue from his wrath to come. Let's not be mowing the lawn when a tornado is about to rip through. Let's step into our reality and push away the distractions. Let's think clearly and and cling to what he's revealed to us. Let me pray. God, I I thank you for those that would come or or maybe live stream uh, on a Sunday morning when when there's other things they could be doing, Lord. I thank you for that clarity of thought. I, I pray that you would bless this time, Lord, that your message would go out and it would resonate farther than today. I pray that you would help us change our thinking about you and about eternity. And I pray that you would guard us and put a hedge against the distractions of the world, Lord. Not that we can't enjoy ourselves, but that they can't consume us, Lord. I thank you for your son. I thank you that he'd swap places with us, that he'd love us even against ourselves. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.